Hello, and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How are you doing, Trey? Well, Jude, I'm excited because we have the honor of doing another guest episode with the podcast creator burdened with glorious purpose, an educator by day and an all-around pop culture fanatic and host of the enlightening There Was an Idea, an MCU podcast. We are delighted to welcome the super fan, Tara, to the show. Welcome to the show, TK. Welcome. Hi, Trey and Jude. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is really, really cool for me because I feel very new to the more public aspects of MCU fandom. And uh, online meeting you guys was kind of, you were one of the first, uh, I, I guess I'll say other creators who I uh, started talking with online. And I'm a big fan of what you do here on the podcast. So I'm genuinely very honored and excited. Well, we're honored, excited to have you here. One of the things I find fascinating, it, it it took me a little bit to get used to thinking of myself as a creator. Like Trey streamed for a number of years. Have you kind of adjusted to that? Of like, hey, I'm a creator now, like a content creator? No, I really haven't. It's something that I kind of wanted to um, get into over the past number of years and never really did it. And then it's doing things like this, like collaborating with other people that makes it feel a little bit more real. Like, wow, I'm part of this community as new as I may be, or as, as minor as my contributions may be at this point, it's still, it's still a really cool feeling. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that we both started around the same time. So almost that similar feeling of like, we were delighted when we were starting to make connections between our podcasts. So, I mean, it, it really is awesome to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I was just re listening to your recent episode of There Was an Idea, an MCU podcast, um, and you had talked about it was Captain America Civil War was the one that started to plant that idea of you wanting to do a podcast. Um, could you, like, explain a little bit more of what that step was to actually bringing it from an idea to a podcast? Yeah. So, as I said, I for a long time, I've been aware of... The fact that the way that I engage with the content that I really enjoy is different than maybe somebody somebody who watches the movie and has a great time with it and recommends it to a friend. But for me, I, it, it's always that next level for me. I can't stop thinking about it and connecting it to different things um, in my life or what I teach or what I study, right? So it was kind of floating in the back of my mind. And I remember you know, last March, April, we were in quarantine besides, and I was rewatching the MCU movies again, and particularly that one. And just like, I was just in this headspace of, wow, there's so much to dig into here. And I have observations that I'd like to share. And I know other people who would probably have really cool things to say about this as well. And I actually then, um, developed a summer camp for we, we decided to do virtual summer camps for to offer the students in our school district over the summer that's really cool yeah and so i kind of developed a all right well what if i connect some academic concepts with these movies for kids and, and gear it towards them but as i was doing that i was like you know what i also want to turn this into something that is more public and you know a little bit higher level um, and not just not just geared towards the kids. So those two things kind of developed simultaneously. Uh, and it's been it's been a really interesting journey. I've learned so much. It's been really, really cool. 
That's really cool. What what age group? So I teach high school. Um, I've I've taught all levels between seventh and twelfth grade. I currently mm-hmm. teach ninth and tenth. Um, and these summer camps were pitched as they were offered to kids between sixth and twelfth. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. Like I, you know, those who listen, I teach as well. I have the uh, the um, the upper end of high school. I get juniors and seniors. They're fun. Juniors and seniors are a lot of fun. Yeah, they are. I have not had the pleasure of the freshmen or sophomores yet. Um, so we'll we'll see. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> it's definitely different. It can be fun too. But yeah, I, you know, I think one of the things that I love so much about your podcast, and it's something that you actually addressed in this recent episode, is I think it was last year we saw these criticisms about uh, whether or not these Marvel films were considered films. Mm-hmm. And the thing I love so much about your podcast is, yes, you know, these movies are superheroes, superhero action films, but you and your guests bring out, I think, the thing that people connect with so much in telling these deeper stories and what it means to people. And so, I mean, it's I mean, it's a no brainer for anybody that is into the Marvel Cinematic Universe that this is just a great companion piece for people to get into. So, yeah, I, your podcast is really awesome. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. That really, really does. And that's kind of what I was hoping hoping to get at, right? Conversations in which we could just really dig into what is what is relatable about these stories. And that's kind of the beauty in it for me is something that seems so out of this world, super powered people. Um, but what what is that revealing about our lives? And where do we make meaning in that? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? And for one of the things we, you know, for the thing we wanted you on here for to talk about what does it mean to be a fan and the MCU in general? I mean, that, I think that kind of fits in like this whole idea of is this cinema or not, you know? Um, and do you, I don't know. It just seems weird. Cause I like as undergrad, I was in film school and, and so I like in the way I knew or had an idea where they were coming from, um, but at the same time, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm a fan of this and I don't see it as any different. Uh, and so, yeah, so like, it, so it, when Scorsese and uh, Coppola said those things, it, it really kind of hit me from both sides. Sure, I can see that. So I think that kind of brings us to what the main topic of our episode is going to be this week, which is what are the responsibilities of a fandom? So I think the as as broad as this topic can be, I think the easiest way we can kind of do this is to just take a little time to for us to kind of define what the fandom is to us. Um, so if you'd like to go first, Tara. Sure. So I, I was thinking about this question mm-hmm. and I was thinking about a conversation that I had with my brother and his girlfriend as I was going through the process of starting the podcast and said to them, hey, you know, you guys can be some of my first guests if you'd like. Um, to this date, they have not been guests. <laughs> and part of that stems from the fact that we, we had a really interesting conversation about different ways of engaging with the content that we like, mm-hmm. right? And these are people mm-hmm. who, they consider themselves fans of the MCU, um, as well as a lot of other movies. They like movies, they like shows, they get into what they get into. And mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't describe their experience as being passive you know, receivers of the content, but at the same time where it's different for them is like, they don't have the desire to take that enjoyment beyond the the two hour viewing experience. Um, So for me, I think that kind of gets at maybe the line between 
fan and fandom, right, is, mm -hmm. is this idea mm -hmm. of a level of investment beyond receiving of the media, right, an active element to it. And, and also, I think, an interactive element, right, like connecting with people, forming a community, and um, based on your shared interests. I was going to say, I, I agree with you, because when you start talking about forming this community around a shared interest, and when I think about films, movies, whatever, in, gen in general, I, I kind of feel like this idea of fandom is new. And only only in the sense of like, with a TV show, you might have a long run of years and it spans, right? Um, a band will have a long run of years, uh, sports team or whatever. Uh, but so much of like films for the longest time, it was like, I was a fan of this actor. Mm. Uh, I was a fan of this director. Um, you might have franchises. I mean, you think about like, well, Terminator, Terminator 2, you know, but those were just, you'd have a sequel. Um, you didn't really, what was it? Maybe Harry Potter that we start actually getting like more expansive franchises that you get this kind of fandom community. I mean, I, I guess star Wars as well. Mm -hmm. um, Lord of the Rings maybe. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. Um, but just, just going to what you're, you're saying there. And I'd agree with you. That's that, that, that fandom where it crossover to, to add that is once you get this community um, that builds. Well, and, and one last thought on star Wars, like star Wars had this sense of fandom, but for the longest time, it was the three original films. And then if you were reading the books, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, and and that's where the fandom kind of lied. Whereas the MCU feels like something really new and the shared universe. I think that's a good point because it, with Star Wars, it feels like it's something that did eventually get to that point, but it was over a longer period of time. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head with Harry Potter because I, I remember that. Be I mean, that was a sensation. Like, I mean, it it was the dominant part of the news every time a new book came out. And I think that kind of leads into what I was going to write as like my definition of a fandom. And it's it's when there's like a culture that evolves around the enjoyment of the product, um, where you have things like people sharing inside jokes or memes or like um, reciting the lines. Like it becomes more than just like what Tara was saying with the passive, like it's, it's almost like its own vocabulary within the fans, mm -hmm. stuff like mm -hmm. that. Sorry. I had a thought and then it escaped me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, we, we kind of set the stage of like, you know, what is fandom? What is not? And I was thinking about this too, because where there can be like, I think the, the term toxic fandom can mm -hmm. be in any, mm -hmm. any segment of fandom. I think this hit close to me because I have spent a lot of time in the gaming uh, fandoms of various, you know, different games and whatnot. And to me, that's where I've seen there always be like this butting heads with that toxicity because you have things like gatekeeping or, right. or like having mm -hmm. to like prove your level of interest or stuff like that. And I, I see it creep up every now and then when it comes to the films of like, of like, well, for example, I, <laughs> I met, I, I looked into Facebook groups cause I was looking for one for like MCU related stuff. And I, the very first post I saw, like it was just a divisive post trying to gatekeep whether or not Captain Marvel was considered a superhero. Um, and I, yeah, I know. And it, it's, crazy. It's, it's stuff like that. I think is where the is not comes from with the fandoms. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I was thinking too that that idea of gatekeeping is so so much the opposite of what you were saying in terms of creating the culture um, mm -hmm. and celebrating the shared aspect of it. But you definitely see it. Um, I've I've seen it a lot with Star Wars um, in recent years. A lot of uh, exclusionary discussions. A lot of telling other people that the meaning that they're making out of something is wrong, right? As opposed right. to a healthy disagreement or or a discourse about what something means. Um, so that's definitely the 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 aspects that feel intimidating about mm -hmm. being a, like a, a public contributor to conversations on these pieces of of media of art that people respond to so strongly well you know and it's it's interesting and this is i'm going to tie this back in like for me part of this is it cinema if if you're getting i mean if the director content creators to put it that way is getting an emotional response out of you you know uh with 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 the text the film they're putting forward that's the they're doing their job right mm -hmm. and we're all going to engage with that text in different ways it's going to have different meanings uh you brought up captain marvel uh i enjoyed it but i think one of the things i enjoyed the most about it was taking my girls to go see it you know like they uh would watch mcu stuff uh but after seeing that in the theater that was their favorite movie you know um and and so seeing it with them and through their eyes um really impacts me and what the fandom is and i can see where people butt heads you know and again it goes all the way back to the is it star trek or star wars debate kind of thing um but i, I don't i don't know i do feel like the gatekeeping and all that is something new you mm -hmm. know or at least maybe i wasn't aware of it when i was younger and you know it because you kind of brought up um, the way that your your kids were getting into Captain Marvel and how that brought them in. And it just made me think that it's such a shame that gatekeeping has become such um, a prevalent thing lately because, uh, you know, with Captain Marvel or even as we've seen with Black Panther, the power that the fandom has to bring in a large majority of people and make them feel welcome is, is such a special thing. And it it's a bummer to see that that can... Uh, almost be negated with people trying to to gatekeep. Yeah. Let me ask you this, um, and for both of y'all, but I'm just curious. So, Tara, as an English teacher, there are, I'm assuming that there's levels of, I don't know, literature. Like this book is good, that book is bad. Mm -hmm. You know, like like my oldest daughter begs us sometimes to read fan, fan fiction, and we're like, no, go read good stuff. <laughs> you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but I mean, there, to have that, that sentiment, right. Or, or, or this is quality and this isn't right. Has, it's interesting. Cause like, like on the one hand we're saying, okay, this is getting a reaction out of people, you know, emotionally and that speaks to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of a sudden they see it as good. And so there is this, I feel like this weird element that I can, that I participate in sometimes of kind of like, 
snobbery maybe like my students will say something about oh they like this over that and i'm like well you're just wrong <laughs> um you know and 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 they know i'm teasing you know or at least try to put it across that i'm teasing them uh but i, I do i do find it interesting that that there is this element of uh that comes with that if, if that makes sense yeah definitely um there's there conversations about what what are you allowed to only like ironically or only like as a quote unquote guilty pleasure right 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 as opposed to and and definitely i mean i have conversations with kids um who be, who are becoming aware of that distinction and and with adults all the time about like oh i know that this thing is not quote unquote good but i still like it mm-hmm. right and so that's to me even that there's such a, a a strange contradiction there, right? Well, if you like it, isn't it good to you, right? right? But we have this sense of what is considered good based on you know what we've studied in the canon of whether it's literature or film or what uh, I don't know the academy uh, recognizes <laughs> versus what it doesn't. I just had a really interesting conversation with some friends earlier today, actually about horror films, and and my friend genuinely was asking like. Are horror films considered good? Like, do people like? Is that something that people seriously consider? And so I kind of went off on a tangent with that, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it is a really interesting question, and I I I wish there was a better answer to it other yeah. than you know, just because you like something, right? Like, we shouldn't feel the need to justify what we like, mm-hmm. right? Right, right. Um, based on some external criteria created by who knows who, right? Right, right. But at the same time, you're also right. I mean, especially in being in the position of teachers, when we hear especially young people who (laughs) (laughs) like bristle sometimes at the opinions that they have about pop culture or about books. And it's what's our role then too in, in, in educating and saying, well, maybe, maybe there's an aspect to whatever this thing is that you like that actually owes uh, a bit of where, where it's coming from, from the legacy of mm-hmm. maybe a, a fantastically uh, well-known and respected author. And maybe yeah. you might like that author too. Yeah. That's an excellent way to put it. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and for your horror thing, one of my favorite <laughs> film critics, uh, Mark Kermode from the UK, and he has a wonderful podcast. He believes that The Exorcist is the greatest movie of all time. That sounds oh. really interesting to read. So, we're kind of in this subject of, you know, recognizing that these movies are a form of art and that, you know, we're not always going to agree with this message or the the art itself. But I think one of the other things that we were going to try and tackle is this idea to what extent can we and or should we separate the artist or the creator from their personal life from the art? And my note, I mean, this was this was kind of like an incredibly hard line to distinguish. I think everybody has trouble trying to to figure out where this line is. Without going too far down the rabbit hole, this isn't MCU related, but I've been down this where, you know, my all-time favorite band, they ran into some issues with their front man, their lead singer, where it made it incredibly hard to support the things that they were doing, despite that I had all these emotional attachments to their music mm-hmm. for over 10 years. And so, you know, we've seen essence of this kind of creep into the MCU. Um, you know, Jeremy Renner's had some domestic abuse allegations. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's had some problematic, you know, thoughts on political correctness and, and identity uh, when it comes to playing roles. 
and it's i guess it's interesting uh to see where we all fall on how to to handle that within the mcu fandom yeah this is a, a really a really tough one and i think it is really worthwhile to to discuss um, and, and I think right now, a lot of these questions are in the forefront of people's minds related to, to JK Rowling specifically. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Harry Potter earlier. Um, and I know even, you know, I, I've, I've chosen in my podcast to very briefly touch on, Hey, there have been some things with Joss Whedon that yeah. are mm-hmm. not necessarily things that we can speak to because they seem to be more private, but mm-hmm. as soon as it becomes somewhat public knowledge, like you almost feel like oh man, I wish I wasn't aware of that. (laughs) And, and, you know, to what extent does that have an effect? So there is a concept in literary criticism known as death of the author. Are you guys familiar with that? Unfortunately, no, no. Okay. So my wife might be upset with me about that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really interesting. It it kind of comes out of the era of, of postmodern literary criticism and Essentially, it it posits that an author's intentions and the author's personal background and the meaning that they're putting into their work is not more important or more valid than the meaning that the audience creates through their interpretation. Wow. So this is a really interesting idea to me. And you were just speaking, Trey, to like having these emotional connections to the music of of this band, right? So like that created a meaning for it for you, all right? And so, okay, so this whole death of the author thing is kind of two-sided for me because um, I'm both a history and an English teacher. And sometimes those things work really nicely together and sometimes they're at odds. So as a history teacher, right, to me, I'm, I'm all about context. And I talk with students all the time about how when and where something is situated is significant and can't be ignored. So in a way that right. that runs counter to this idea of well the author the author's intentions and personal background doesn't matter right mm-hmm. however <laughs> at the same time I really like the death of the author idea when it comes to to pieces of art because it can help us separate let's say mm-hmm. for example like the very hateful words of a particular popular author right from right. the feelings of joy and acceptance that her books brought to many of, of her fans right mm-hmm. so maybe there is room for the two to exist simultaneously although of course ultimately everyone's personal threshold is different right if, if I think there are all lines that we might be so heartbroken and hurt that we might not be able to find ourselves liking you know quote unquote that artist anymore so it's it's definitely a, a tough one. Right. Well, you know what, as as you say that, and I think about some of the things I do with my students, one of the examples I use, I pull up an old Three Little Pigs cartoon from the 1940s, mm. and the wolf has a German accent. And then, you know, when it comes out, it came out in 1939, 1940. Uh, then I pull up, you know, some stuff from the 80s, and the majority of the villains were Russian. It's like, as you get into the nineties and two thousands, um, they were middle Eastern and, and your basic action movies, you know, I think true lies and, and these types of things. And you can kind of see that trace, um, actually all the way up to put it in MCU, Iron Man three, where it becomes, you know, that spin on idea of terrorism, mm-hmm. but actually putting it locally and making it more domestic, uh, terrorism and playing with those ideas. And so, and I kind of trace it through there. And so, so like, I get what you're saying completely about this. Like you can't necessarily separate 
the the author from the time period, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and those ideas because they're just uh, consciously or not, whether or not, you know, in, in some cases it's very conscious of it. Like I'm, we're putting these I- as a creator ideas into the content, uh, or the film or, or book or whatever. Um, and then there's a lot of things that I think creep into it that's they're not really aware of it, you know. Um, even if I go back and just look at some of my own diary writings and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't, what was I thinking? You know, uh, <laughs> that's why I'm very thankful that my Zanga <laughs> died with the site and I never have to reload those memories. <laughs> oh man, that's a blast from the past. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I, I I do like this idea of the death of the author, um, and I, I totally understand seeing kind of being pulled from both ways because I mean, you know, as we define with the fandom, it is about the culture that evolves from that interaction with the the content, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I, I like this idea that the, the interpretive meaning outweighs, you know, I guess the text itself. But you also talk about this idea of context. I mean, we can even bring it back to uh, Disney Plus, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I believe it's Dumbo, and there's some other animated film. Disney yeah. Plus. What? What? Yeah, no, I was just reacting because I, I, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, they. Uh, it was Dumbo and some other animated film. They have this little title card before the film, basically outlining. You know, at the time of this film, there were some racist caricatures that were made into the film, and it explains why it's problematic. But it still left it in there. So, you know, providing that context helped turn it from something that was problematic into a teaching moment. Was it Jungle Book and Peter Pan? Maybe it may have been Peter Pan. I don't think Jungle Book. Okay. Peter Pan makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I also yeah. noticed it there um, on the collection of shorts that they have. They have some shorts from the 30s, 40s, I guess, that mm-hmm. they also have that kind of, uh, I don't want to call it a disclaimer, but uh, like you said, it's it's a teaching card, essentially. Right. Well, and it's weird because I remember watching, like renting those from the video store and watching them growing up. And, and honestly, being young and not really thinking anything of it. And now... You know, when I watch it, it's just like, oh, my gosh, you know, I mean, we've even seen instances of that, you know, you and me, Jude, and when we did our Iron Man review and we talked about some of the problematic scenes with Tony and Pepper and I, you know, even I like at the time when I originally watched it, I didn't catch on to it. Um, that power dynamic between Tony and Pepper and then coming back to it now, it's like, yeah, I, you know, I can't believe I didn't catch that at first. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I think that I kind of wanted to bring on, and I think we already kind of touched on it a little bit, is because we're in this section about, you know, not always liking the art itself. Um, this this is my own personal experience and something that I've been learning to try and steer away from is this almost this idea of dogpiling. Um, you know, because it, it's okay not to like something, but I think we've seen, especially with the internet, how quickly that not liking something can snowball into very... Um, large, like, hateful messages towards the creators. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, it starts small. Like, clearly, it's the smallest of concerns, but I, I do think there needs to be some responsibility as a fan not to do that. Because, like, I, I've even, on this podcast, like, I've made it, I've made jokes about me not liking Rise of Skywalker or the final season of Game of Thrones, and that's something that I've definitely been conscientious of with my online presence to not try or to try and pull back on 
being critical without being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess just overtly mean about it. <laughs> Do either of y'all struggle with that or has there not been, a, I guess, a media that has made those feelings for you? Um, I Okay, I'll say this. I will... Okay, so specifically you brought up Game of Thrones and Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I know for my students, I, us, I will walk on eggshells with that mm-hmm. until I want to see where they're at with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I... And kind of hold back my opinions until I get a sense where they're at. Cause I don't want to like, if they loved it, I I'd hate to, to just like then completely start trying to tear it down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause, cause I feel like I'm seeing it in different places uh, or, or we're seeing it from different perspectives. I don't know that I think I try my best to not do that in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also enough of an introvert that I feel like I'm I, <laughs> the, people I, the people I talk with regularly you know, I feel comfortable just mm-hmm. saying what I think, um, in, in that way. Um, I will say having the podcast makes me more mindful, mm-hmm. you know, like as we were going through daredevil season one, which I loved and, and the criticism of it that we, that I, that we had, that I had, I became super mindful there of like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, I mean, really where's the line of this hypercriticism, mm-hmm. you know, for its own sake. Um, and trying to back off of that. That's a great word for it. I was struggling on trying to how to frame it, but hypercriticism, I think, is an excellent way to put it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, because when you get to a place of hypercriticism, right, you're uh, almost, may, maybe you begin to approach the line of of the gatekeeping or the your opinion is wrong, right? And and, and um, certainly as teachers, certainly as people who are kind of creating content that is to be publicly um, consumed right? By who we don't know who, right? By putting these podcasts out there, right? We don't, you know, at least I think what I'm hearing you say and what I don't want to do is sort of um, for the sake of what, what I think is kind of funny or what makes sense to me and the people I know to, to then uh, put down something that other people have that emotional connection to. Mm-hmm. I think the line between, you know, critiquing something and, and doing that is it is a really interesting one to play with in a way i think sometimes i find myself bringing more critique right bringing more of a critical eye to the things that i actually really enjoy mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. that i don't enjoy as much if i didn't really enjoy it i, I kind of stopped thinking about it and i'm like oh, it didn't do anything for me and then sometimes when i do really enjoy something it makes me feel more invested in the aspects of it that maybe I didn't like as much or, or, or what I may have chosen to do differently for what it's worth. uh, You know, my friend Colleen, who I've actually featured on, on my show a couple of times on episodes Mm -hmm. on um, Captain Marvel and the Avengers shared uh, a quote with me that I I think is worth sharing here. It it comes from an excerpt from um, text is called diversity is not enough race power and publishing by Daniel Jose Alder. And he wrote, we can love a thing and still critique it. In fact, that's the only way to really love a thing. And, and he goes on to talk about being critical lovers and loving critics. And I think that's really interesting. You know what? I What I find fascinating with that, because I, I agree with you. I, I, that's a fascinating quote. I'd love to actually just read the full thing. I'm going to have to get that from you when we get off <laughs> the recording. Yeah, yeah, I'll, send it, I'll send it along to you. All right, cool. Thank you. Um, but just but like, like the things that 
in the context of like film and movie fandom and MCU fandom, like the, the things that have become important, like the Rotten Tomato score, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this idea of like, oh, well, it has a terrible Rotten Tomato score, so it's obviously not good. But there's so much that goes into being a fan and so much that goes into what is individually what is and isn't good you know like one of like having the conversation with my students about sports you know and they're like oh you're a fan of this and uh, the cowboys or or whatever it is sports wise and you know the steelers or stuff and and then you know i mentioned steelers just trades the steelers (laughs) Um, well like i I, very famously i'm an astros fan and they just you know with the trouble with the cheating and stuff and my students talk about that and i'm just like look i've been a fan with for them since i was four and five and remember going to games with my dad and so there's so much attachment emotionally to that fandom Mm -hmm. right that that just gets lost and there's those that rotten tomato scores or like said in the quote when you when you start realizing that any criticism is is because it's bad when it when when no i mean if we're gonna love something it's fair to think of it critically it's it's fair to want it uh to to try to bring the best out of it you know and, and sometimes you do that with it well, sometimes a lot of times you do that with a critical eye you know it this is kind of adjacent but you bringing up the sports related aspect of it, it to me it kind of conjures up that imagery of like you know being fans of certain teams and we've seen um you know the idea of dogpiling like even within yeah you know, like team iron man <laughs> <laughs> i know how many uh how many remarks have we made over the course of the podcast <laughs> of being team iron man or team cap <laughs> <laughs> although if i'm not mistaken i think you might be outnumbered in this episode <laughs> that's right yeah i've i've come out as team cap too <laughs> <laughs> again remember it's 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 about these emotional responses. It's not necessarily about being right or wrong and you can be comfortable <laughs> <laughs> being wrong. Um, uh, you know, so bringing it back to this idea of sports teams, um, I think one of the things that I found fascinating almost in this same vein of dogpiling uh, is we almost see these rivalries within like the superhero side of stuff between the MCU and the DC universe side. You know, almost the, you, that the idea of the Rotten Tomatoes score, how it becomes like a almost a badge of honor for these movies that pits these fandoms against each other. But yeah, I mean, that's just another form of dogpiling that I've seen online and something that I, I've been trying to steer away from too. Because there was a point at, in my life where I did find myself kind of being in that like rah-rah, you know, supporting the MCU and only the MCU kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've been personally trying to walk back. Because uh, it is, at least for me, it felt like it's been easy to kind of slip into that. Yeah, definitely. I, I you know if it becomes a point of of identity to be on the MCU side versus the DC side i start to question uh why <laughs> are, you know are, are you are you depriving yourself first of all are, are you depriving yourself of some of the good things that the quote unquote other side has to offer mm-hmm. or then alternatively um are you yeah like are, are you wearing a badge of honor that doesn't need to be born Mm -hmm. i I, it's it's an interesting question and it rings as being similar to sports but then different to sports in a certain way because i think that the the cultural identity of of sports teams and their fans oh man that's an entirely other (laughs) really interesting thing i mean because 
the, the, the actual players on the team change, right? But the culture of what oh, yeah. to be a fan of that team, you know, is what remains and what sticks with you of having those emotional connections. So, man, I don't know. It's, it's all really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, I didn't know about this. And this is probably about a month old now from September 15th, this tweet by James Gunn, where he invited people working with the DCEU you know, Zack Snyder, Patty Jenkins, and, and this group to come visit the set of Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah, I think I remember seeing seeing that. That's really cool. Well, it, I mean, it, but to say that, like, like it, there is that weirdness of with sports. You mentioned, like, the, the team, the, the players change, right? And that, that constant butting of heads does come from the fandom. You know, and, and to see these creators, and James Gunn's a perfect one because he crossed over to see even the language i use crossed over <laughs> as if like there's like, there's two different things you know yeah, but, yeah. But, but he you know did suicide the most recent suicide squad movie and i feel like that rivalry very much comes from us mm-hmm. you know um you know and we've actually joked about it i don't say joked about it because i think we're serious about doing this like we want to do at least one episode on the nolan batmans because we we refer to those that trilogy all the time because there's so much of what he did that has influenced superhero movies after. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that you point out that the rivalry kind of stems from the fandom because kind of tying this back to gaming, especially as something that I've grown up with. I remember my younger years being caught up in the oh, Xbox versus PlayStation, stuff like that. And I think what took me a long time to realize was, you know, the fandom benefits between the competition between these two, like between Xbox or PlayStation or DC and Marvel, because it's almost this idea of like iron sharpens iron. And when they all work together to produce something better, you know, the, the in content ends up being better for the fans. That's a really interesting connection too. Yeah. The idea of competition, breeding innovation, Nolan's mm-hmm. Batman's right, uh, paving the way for maybe some of the stuff that we actually really enjoy so much with MCU. It's definitely yeah. interesting. I'm also a huge Batman fan. That I, I would have. It's interesting because, like, you know, again, being somebody who is <laughs> clearly talking about the MCU on, on what I'm choosing to do for my podcast, maybe is surprising. But I, I would have considered Batman my number one superhero for a really long time. Awesome. Well, wait for a really long time. Has he been supplanted? Uh, I I think Captain America. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like I said, you're outnumbered. Right. <laughs> right. So what I'm hearing is there's a bias. All right, we're acknowledging it. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, our Civil War episode is going to be so much. I legitimately can't wait. <laughs> It's going to be some more. Um. <laughs> um, I think another topic that we wanted to bring up was this question of, you know, to what degree do we participate in creating the piece as a viewer? And I think specifically a question that we we had in our outline that I can kind of link to James Gunn is, does this give us a type of ownership? And there was this comment that uh, was made on a James Gunn tweet from a fan, which I'm going to read right here, this quote, I can't believe you're taking up another project. You should be starting with Guardians 3 right after the Suicide Squad. You've already delayed the movie for like ever, end quote. And James Gunn was nice enough to respond to it and basically outline that like, you know, you know, I haven't delayed it a single day. I've been on the same schedule since the day I was rehired. But I think the thing that fascinated me the most about that tweet was this idea of ownership from that fan 
And it's it's an interesting line to kind of look at when these fandoms pop up around something as big as the MCU. So I want to I want to ask Tara on on this idea of ownership because because you brought up this death of the author, right? And we and we kind of talked about that that back and forth of not being able to separate the I guess the intended text from the author. Uh, or the intended reading of the text from the author and um, the time period it came from. Mm-hmm. And, and in some ways, like I very much see that and like, wow, I agree with it. Uh, but also on the flip side though, the, the idea of uh, participating in with the art it, well, I mean, we, we're kind of, you know, clearly I hope joking about, you know, civil war. Right. Uh, but I mean, when I think that they, Trey, uh, but I'm thinking, <laughs> I, I, but I think when they did it and they gave it to test audiences, if I remember right, they wanted test audiences to come out 50-50, right, of, of who they thought was correct. And, and that's how they knew they had the right edit of the film. So in that way, they clearly wanted a, like, like a, you know, a audience participation on that level, right? Like, like, it's not just... It's, it's not just the Spielberg, I'm going to make you feel something. It's, you know, you have some kind of agency of, as to what you see of that. You know, I, so, so in that way, I guess my question is, which would you prefer? Do you, do you kind of want the, the directors to, or the art to make you make a feeling or, or kind of let you be on your own? Yeah, th- this is really it. Again, the, the, I think these questions are, are really, really tough, you guys. And I think they're really good because they, they're really tough, right? Um, first of all, I can't imagine being a creator of this type of content right now and, and being aware of all of these online comments, right. Mm-hmm. And all of the speculation and all of the head cannons and things like that. Like you would, as a, as a director, right. As a, as an author where, you know, whatever it is that you're creating, you'd like to not be influenced, I think, by all of the competing camps of, of who wants what to happen in your, in, in your next installment of whatever it is, it is you're putting out there with something like the MCU, right? It's not a solitary piece of art. It's not one book, one movie, you know, mm-hmm. thing that exists um, as a one-off in, in the universe. Uh, you, you, you get into long form storytelling a franchise, a book series, whatever it may be. And fans like, like you were saying earlier with Harry Potter, right? Like you're eagerly looking forward to what's coming next. You're there at midnight, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, you're speculating. You're making predictions. You have hopes and dreams for your favorite characters. You have a wish list of what you want to see, right? And it's it's got to be so hard to silence uh, that as a director, you know, as a right. Fan, oh yeah. On, on the one hand, it's like you're you're hoping that your favorite character's story goes in the direction that you want it to go, but then also, at least for me personally. I trust that the people who are the ones creating, or in the case of MCU, not necessarily the creators of these characters, but the ones who are uh, currently in charge of telling their stories are going to do a good job, right? Mm-hmm. There's that oh, yeah. of trust. So it's, oh man, it's so multifaceted. And then of course you get the participatory part of fandom, which is like, if you don't like something, you write fix it fan fiction, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> then there's that too. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, we fell into that trap, Trey, with, I don't want to say a trap because it wasn't, 
you know, it was it was kind of a weird middle ground where we did the Daredevil episodes yeah. of like, hey, here's an episode of we don't like the way they did it, and we had ideas that we thought were better, but <laughs> but. But, but I mean, it, it was weird because like, it's easy to watch it and think, oh, this would have worked better. But I'm, I'm really, when I say that or do that, I, I need to recognize that something didn't work for me and, and how they did it or my emotional reaction to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm acknowledging I could have got more out of it this way, but the way they did it, I don't, I couldn't have done it. You know, right. like I don't have that skill set. Yeah. And I mean, I think you would always underscore it perfectly by saying, there's a reason we're doing the podcast and they, they made the, the episode. Um, but yeah, it, and it, it was this weird, like, like you said, not to call it a trap, but just something we had to be conscientious of as we were moving forward. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that came to mind was rise of Skywalker mm -hmm. when you were talking about, you know, can the career director or, you know, let's be honest, corporate yep. mm -hmm. shut out, you know, uh, fan voices. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and, and where is that line? I, I think the MCU's done a fairly good job mm -hmm. of, you know, listening to what fans want and doing their fan service and retconning really cool things like putting Peter Parker in Iron Man 2, um, you know, th things like things like that. Uh, or even, you know, um, oh, what was the go? It's a very James Gunn heavy episode. Um, the Stanley cameo as the watcher, like that was a, a fan theory, mm -hmm. you know, the next thing you know, that was the, his cameo, you know, so they've, they've managed to balance it. Well, mm -hmm. this is kind of adjacent, but something I can't help but think of, you know, Tara, you were bringing up this idea of a creator interacting, you know, on that two directional level on social media. I'm thinking to one of my favorite podcasts is called the adventure zone. Uh, it's the McElroy brothers. They play, uh, dungeons and dragons. And I'll never forget, uh, one of the brothers, Justin McRoy, had a very, I think, relevant quote to what's going on, where at the height of that podcast's popularity, he was running into this weird issue where he would, they would put out an episode, he would read the fans' reactions to it, and he would get tripped up every time he saw someone would say, oh, that's not what his character would do. And he would have to sit there and think, mm -hmm. I'm the character. What the character did is what the character would do because I did it. And yeah. so he was having this weird, like almost identity crisis. And to hear him talk about that, it's like, man, I can't imagine like on the level that, you, I mean, not to take away from them, but on the level of something like James Gunn or the MCU of having to have that feedback from the fandom. It's insane. Yeah. And, and as you are saying before too, right? Like it, 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 there are so many different quote unquote camps and teams and this and that, like you're never going to make everybody happy. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So it's, mm -hmm. it's difficult. And I, I think <laughs> to, to risk um, sounding like the way we didn't want to sound before, but I think maybe <laughs> some of the issue that Rise of Skywalker ran into was maybe trying a little bit too hard to, to listen to everybody, right? To serve right. everybody. And I think that, you know, again, that fans, as I was speaking to my own trust that I have in, in the creators, I think that, um, there also needs to be a trust that fans know the difference between fun bits of fan service mm -hmm. and acknowledgement and then outright pandering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you mentioned Rise of Skywalker. Like, I was not a fan. I don't know if I'm using the word correctly now. I did not enjoy uh, using it correctly in the context of what we've been talking about. I did not enjoy The Last Jedi. But by the time Rise of Skywalker came around, 
I, whatever that, that's what they created. Here's the decisions they made. So let's see what they do with it. And, and so for me seeing rise of Skywalker, it was really obvious the, the backpedaling, you know, in, in that way. And I, and I think that, again, I love Star Wars. I think J.J. Abrams is a good filmmaker. He makes fun movies, right? Like I had a lot of fun watching it. Um, and so I, I feel like we're doing that in the spirit of what we were saying, something we enjoy, you know, and being critical of it. Um, but it, I don't know. I, it's There is that weird thing of like, learning when to i don't know tap the brakes maybe and and what we're doing because like we've reached a point i think culturally speaking that these films whether star wars or in particular the mcu because i'm nervous about wandavision i'm nervous about other things because i feel like the more they do the more likely they're gonna miss right and Mm -hmm. it's not gonna be what they've been doing but if i'm honest with myself that's my own expectations you know, and, and trying to, to to make sure I'm clear about that and what I'm or how I take in the content. As we're kind of in this, you know, this idea of ownership within the fandom, you know, one of the questions that we had on our outline was, does the artist or creator owe us anything? And something that I was kind of reflecting on today, um, you know, Jude and I specifically, one of the things that we started with in this podcast is we tapped into the hashtag save daredevil community and it got me thinking of like you know what is the role of this fandom creating movements like this because obviously it is something that's important that people want to see you know charlie cox back as daredevil brought back into the mcu and again all these questions have been hard to to have a definitive answer on but like is there a place for that that doesn't get too into that demanding you know give us what we want you know listen to us kind of feeling which again it's something that we were definitely conscientious of because as we tapped into over the early episodes um not that we changed our critiques of what we were watching but it made us kind of pause and think about it now i'm thinking too to (laughs) a comment that you said earlier jude about even the difference between you know the artist the creator and then Mm -hmm. the the corporate side of things oh yeah so when it comes to shows potentially being canceled and it be, like that's a, a, even a another added layer of complexity mm-hmm. <laughs> you could say right like like my gut reaction to the question of if if an artist or a creator owes us anything my gut reaction is is no right like you right. art that you're going to do um i i think about musicians in this way right like if a musician who's really well loved for for doing a particular style all of a mm-hmm. sudden wants to try something new, go for it, right? Like you don't need to do what people mm-hmm. are expecting you to do. But at the same time, right? Like the fact that um, it's it's to the benefit of artists and creators to be cognizant and of what fans want and respectful of their audience and to keep their audience in mind, right? So right. It, it, there's that aspect as well. And then when it comes to like something like say if Daredevil or whatever, like the fact like these fan communities can be so strong. Um, a television show I enjoy a lot is Winona Earp. It was kind of a similar thing that it was okay. saved by fans. And that's where I think that, that um, when it gets into networks and it gets into the corporate side, right? Like what do they owe us? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's really weird. Cause so when you get into that side from a corporate side, I can see 
them feeling like I don't know if owing us anything is the right way to put it, but I can see the the desire or the draw to listen to fans because they're they want us to consume it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't know if the corporate side is is what they owe us. I do find let's say the MCU particularly interesting because there was a fan base that existed already, and in terms of reading the comics, you know. Um, and so it's like, I don't know, do they owe us the fans? Well, take Wolverine, you know, and, and part of it coming to the MCU, are we finally going to get to see his traditional costume? Right. And while that's something the fans want, I'll be honest, I'm not sure I, how they're going to pull it off that it looks good. Cause it, it, you know, on screen and, and work, um, a comic accurate Wolverine. And so, well, I mean, the last x-men movie for fox they had comic accurate costumes for the x-men finally and to be honest i was kind of disappointed in them you know um and and so there's that line as well of like just because the fans want it and we're like children right like like just because just because we want it doesn't mean we should get it you know Mm -hmm. um and and man so so from the corporate like i could easily see the desire of like they're gonna eat it up right Mm -hmm um it's so yeah i i don't i don't know that's i i don't know if i have a good answer to that question it's hard i mean i mean all these questions have been hard yeah well i mean we've seen it and i was just gonna bring up sonic the hedgehog yeah yeah like i I didn't see the movie but like one trailer and they had to rethink a character design Mm -hmm. yeah or even bringing it back to superheroes i mean look i mean the much demanded Zack snyder cut I mean, we saw that that was a thing where fans are demanding it and eventually people got it. So we do see that these fandoms, well, I guess we can go down that rabbit hole about how much the fans did it. But I mean, we, they do have enough impact that it does become part of the development strategy, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was it was something that I was thinking about, uh, especially because we have our ties to with the the Save Daredevil stuff, right? So you know, as we've been talking about this responsibility of the fandom, I think another one of the things that has been uh, on my mind is how much of the responsibility does the fandom have in maintaining spoilers and being conscientious of people who haven't seen the movie or whatever the media might be. So Tara, let me ask, have you been gone into any MCU movie boiled ahead of time? I'm trying to think. Uh recently, no. The the last few that came out, no. There okay. was there was a period of time, like late phase two, early phase three, that I wasn't caught up, that I missed some when they came out. And I want to say that there were some of those that I I knew some details about, but I, yeah, in more recent years, I very much tried to avoid speculation Mm -hmm. online. And and recently I've fallen a little bit into some of the WandaVision speculation and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And uh, it's, I think I'm a little like just desperate for some. (laughs) We all feel it. (laughs) it, it, Yeah. It's, it's hard to avoid. Um, cause even a couple of years ago, like I wasn't active on, on Twitter and it really wasn't until doing the podcast that I had a presence on Twitter and, um, I just, yeah, it, it being so easily accessible makes it really mm-hmm. tempting. <laughs> um, but I, I try as much as I can to stay away from, from spoilers, from speculation and, and even from some of the theatrical trailers. So let me ask you this as well, cause yeah. I'm assuming you have a similar experience as a teacher when a movie like this comes out 
I have some students warn me ahead of time of like, this kid over here will spoil the movie. He did it last year. <laughs> and can you please watch him? Like, like, but like intentionally so, like, like his intent is to do that. You know, I say his, I work at an all boys school, but so like, like, do, do you ever face that? Like, or have maybe either a have a fear of like your students spoiling it or kind of, cause that comes up in my classes sometimes, you know, about the spoilers and uh, should things be spoiled? Should it not? Yeah. How long you should wait? Sure. Those types of things. <laughs> well, somewhat tangentially, this doesn't have to do with the MCU or, or films. And I, I, I am going to respond to your question, but this is one of my favorite little anecdotes. Uh, last year sometime there was an email that was sent out from an English teacher to the other teachers in the English department. Um, and I was included on it because I teach the, a co-taught humanities class, English history, whatever. And <laughs> it just said like, like warning, someone is going around spoiling the end of Of Mice and Men. And it was the funniest little email to me uh, <laughs> that there was a kid who thought it was really fun to um, tell people how Of Mice and Men ended. <laughs> it's so strangely like what an annoying kid but also like it, it's like strangely endearing I, I don't know but <laughs> um everything about that was uh amazing to me but yeah I, I make it very clear when I talk with students about tv movies and things that that I really enjoy that I I don't want the spoilers to come anywhere near me if I haven't seen the thing yet and uh Mm -hmm. They've been pretty respectful uh, among each other. I can't speak to that as much. I'm sure they're less respectful. I, I, just, <laughs> I try to plug my ears and stay away from it. Yeah. Well, it's just it, it's just interesting to me that that there's some out there, you know, and and I say some. I mean to, to expand it beyond my classroom, but that just for some reason that's just what they want to do. Like there's this intentionality of like. I get the context of fandom of wanting to take something away from that experience. Yeah. I, I can't, I, I can't, I struggle to understand that. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast, but it's, it's to kind of maybe understand it. It's almost the lack of there being a reason is why it's funny to them. Mm -hmm. Because I, when I, whenever um, star Wars, and uh, what was the first J.J. Abrams one? I can't remember the name of it. Oh, Force Awakens. Force Awakens. Whenever that came out, um, I think I may have told you this before, Jude. I was in line. I got all the way to the usher taking the ticket. And some kid ran into the lobby, screamed the spoiler at the top of his lungs, and then ran out of the theaters. He wasn't there mm. for the movie. He wasn't, he didn't even, right. wasn't there for the reaction. It was just the absence of a reason, I think, that was the driving force. And so mm -hmm. it's hard. but. On the flip side, you know, I think we've also seen instances where things get spoiled and it comes from this innocent place of people just wanting to share that experience, but not, I guess, taking in consideration the people around them. And it's it's hard because, you know, you two have been talking about being teachers. You know, it's I've always find it fascinating how many parallels I draw between having like a streaming community, uh, obviously a lot less <laughs> high importance, but it was the, the links that we would go to to ensure that we could keep spoilers out of the community. You know, for example, we had a separate discord just for Marvel stuff because we didn't want to even accidentally spoil it from something for people in the main one. And it's just, it's it's such a sticky situation all around when it comes to spoilers. Mm -hmm. So you, so you said you watched or kind of went down the the rabbit hole of 
WandaVision speculation. When you're prepping for a podcast, well, I guess you haven't really talked about upcoming future stuff. It's all just the, the previous movies. So you, I guess, don't run into the like, well, I got to look at this or the speculation stuff for prep. Yeah, right. It, it, to this to this date, I've only uh, I've only dealt with movies, not TV shows. And I've only uh, dealt with movies that are already in the past. So um, it will be something to to consider moving forward as I'd, I'd like to you know continue the podcast and dig into some of the stuff that comes out in the future. Um, I, I think I'm gonna stay away from it though because even you know even with the, the older movies, it's it, it can be tempting to say, okay, before I get on a microphone and start talking about my take on this movie, what have other people said about it right? And there and there have certainly been times that I've I've read you know reviews and I've read, analyses and things like that but i try not to um as uh, in preparation unless there's something very specific that i want to look up because i i genuinely like had a question about uh like for example when i did a doctor strange episode like i, I wasn't sure like what scott derrickson's reaction was to some of the critiques on his casting choices so, like mm -hmm. i looked that up because i didn't want to speak to it without having some knowledge of that um, but I try to stay away from other people's analysis, other people's takes. Yeah. Well, and that it's, it's interesting because, you know, talking about fandom this whole time, like this, that analysis and takes, which as I'm going to say it, content creators now, um, <laughs> we're, we're participating in that. And that's such, has become such a big part of what it means to be a fan, I, I think, is to, to have those conversations, um, you know, to kind of circle back of like, what we're saying with the hypercriticism and, and, and all of that stuff that I found it interesting that it's weird. It's like, there's this, that, that speculation ahead of time becomes, I don't, I don't want to say better than the actual experience of watching the movie, but that, in, that, that builds up the anticipation, right. And that just kind of feeds into this experience of the movie. Like, is this going to happen? Is it not? Was that right? Mm -hmm. And it becomes part of, the consumption. I remember whenever we saw the shift of TV shows going from a week to week basis on network television to being like a binge thing mm. on Netflix, part of the things that I missed was the week to week conversation where people got to speculate. And it, and it became this thing like, like bringing it back to Daredevil. Like one of the reasons why I got behind on Daredevil was this feeling of almost like being left behind because I didn't keep up with the conversation that was happening with it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's what you're talking about. Like that speculation is part of it, but drawing that line of like how much you have or how little you have of it is such a fine line to have. Yeah. This has been a, a fascinating conversation on the whole responsibilities of fandom. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for this episode. But of course uh, we can't end without doing our question of the week. So Tara and Jude, this week's question of the week is, if you could turn the last two Avengers movies into a trilogy instead, what storyline would you want to see expanded on or created in the third movie? Tara, we'll go with you first. All right. So I was thinking that I'd like to keep the ending where it is, um, but where I would flesh things out would be kind of like around the first 40 minutes of Infinity War or so. And if I had to just pick one thread, that I'd like to see more of it would be what has the the team of, of the so-called criminals uh, been up to? So Steve and Natasha and Sam um, and, and their relationship to, to Wanda. And, and while I, I wouldn't necessarily want to see a, a ton of Wanda and Vision um, background romance or anything like that, just like 
what had been going on with them? What was their arrangement? Um, and how were, mm-hmm. how was that group interacting with each other? What have they been up to? I, I think that would be my, my top choice. As I say, that's a really good choice. Yeah. It would have been really fascinating to kind of see where they were, what they were doing leading up to it. Yeah. Well, because I didn't even think of them. <laughs> like, like really, like I spoken like, like a true team <laughs> Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had, yeah, yeah, but like that, they, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I think the thing, like my initial reaction to this question. I would have loved to have seen like that, the, I guess the battle of Wakanda where they were kind of trying to defend vision from Thanos getting the stone. I would have liked to have seen that expanded on. And one of my favorite, I think battle scenes and anything that I've seen is uh, battle of Helm's deep and Lord of the Rings. And if they could Mm -hmm. have expanded that and done something a little bit more dramatic than what we got, you know, have almost different acts to that fight more so than what we got. I think that would have been really fun. Mm-hmm. Well, so my, my first, the first two places my head went was Hulk mm-hmm. and um, Hawkeye and, and to see and you know, just kind of see that transformation. But honestly, what I would really love to have seen, I think is an in infinity war, the, because it was so Thanos focused um, to see the attack on Nova. Mm. Yeah, uh, or no, no, we're prime. Like, 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 I would love to have seen because of we got to see it. We got to know some of those characters, you know, through Guardians of the Galaxy. It, it would have been nice to just revisit that and, and kind of see that. I also thought a little bit about you know we talked about it, just like maybe like some side characters and just to kind of flesh out the world that they built after the snap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and maybe kind of expand what life was like there. Um, but I think the I think the getting the power uh, the sorry the power stone and, and all of those that he started with, I'd love to see that. Now, Terry, you said that was your top choice. What was your what was your second? Um, I also would have liked to see more about Hulk and Banner in between yeah. Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah, it was felt like such a missed opportunity that we missed that almost middle gap between him, you know, all Hulk, all Banner, yeah. and then he became Smart Hulk. It would have been nice to see that transition. For sure. You know, see, in our, go ahead, you go, Trey. Well, I was going to transition. Did you have a... Well, the, I, I was just going to say, you know, I mean, we're doing the thing we talked about. Like we're like participating with the text. We're, we're making changes. You know, we're being critical of hey, you didn't flesh this out. And I'd love to have seen this. There it is. You know, I was going to play off what you had said, uh, Jude, about wanting to see more of Hawkeye. There was a more ambitious part of me that wanted to do this, but I couldn't figure out a way to make it work. On top of seeing the battle at Wakanda expanded and maybe be a little bit more dramatized if there could have been a way to have like almost this almost like running at the same time hawkeye story where as they lose in wakanda in the hawkeye storyline you see it revealed that that it's take place post snap mm-hmm. and so you get this taste of what post snap life would be like mm-hmm. and then you have that like oh god moment once you realize they lost that that's what you've been watching the whole time with hawkeye so you kind of get mm-hmm. this background you know explanation of him since we don't see him in infinity war but i just couldn't figure out a way to make it work that would would make yeah. sense. That's a really cool idea though. Oh, mm-hmm. cause I always love those, those movies where you have like uh co-running storylines and then there's something that simple happens that recontextualizes what you just watched. Well, you know what? I, I honestly, I think I'd rather see what Tara said than the, well, I mean, cause you hear the speculation and the different things about cap returning the stones. 
mm-hmm. I'd actually be more interested in fleshing out what Tara said and mm-hmm. what were they doing on the run. Like when did his hair and his beard grow that long? Like he was doing some <laughs> stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. What was that process? Mm-hmm. Natasha went blonde. Like they, they were doing things with their hair, you know, they're looking mm-hmm. for it. oh we need it we need that disney plus show well that is gonna do it for this episode uh tara i just want to say thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with us uh we absolutely enjoyed having you on thank you this really was a blast i was really looking forward to it i was even a little bit nervous like being a fan of you guys and, and the content that you put out there um but this was really so much fun and i'd really love to have you on as guests on my show at some point too Absolutely. That'd be Anytime. awesome. Yeah. 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 And same here. I mean, we, we got on probably at six, like 30 <laughs> minutes before you to like talk and prep. Cause, cause mm-hmm. we were very much nervous as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, we're a fan of your, of your podcast. It's fantastic. Which the podcast is Trey. There was an idea, a Marvel cinematic universe podcast. Uh, I believe it's available on most podcast platforms. And if you enjoy this show, Without a doubt, you will enjoy that one as well. So make sure you're subscribed there too. But yeah, if you would like to comment on this episode or answer the question of the week, you can always reach us at Know on Twitter or Instagram, or you can write us an email at know at gmail.com. And of course, uh, Tara, you're, we can find you where? Yeah, I, I have Twitter and Instagram um, at anidea underscore podcast. If you'd like to follow, say hello. I like to, I mostly interact on Instagram, I'd say. I'm not quite as good at Twitter yet, but <laughs> always like hearing from people. So if you'd like to do that, uh, send me send me a message. Uh, we'd also like to give a special thanks to Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. If you'd like to find more of his work, you can find it linked in the description below, which you'll also find links to all of Tara's social media and podcast as well. Uh, But yeah, thank you all so much for doing this. Thank you, Trey. Thank you, guys. We'll see you all next week. But no, what's up? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 daughter just opened the door to hand me food and then, and, then, and then she started talking to me she's like do you want a napkin and i'm like and and it just didn't didn't dawn on me it's like oh i should have just muted my mic and not interrupted sorry you're totally fine <laughs> i i legitimately thought the cat made it back into tara's room <laughs> nope i'm not sure that this door is that <laughs> Uh, we might have an intake. I think we do. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think we got to explain. Are you totally fine with using that as an intake, Tara? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love the intakes, by the way. It's a great, de- great added detail that you guys do. Uh, cool. Thank you. <laughs>